Good morning, Hilton Head Island Community Church. Morning. I don't know if you guys are responding or not, so. Hey, this is 930. You guys are awake. Uh, my name is Todd Cooper. I'm the student pastor here along with my wife and soon-to-be mother. Yes. She is a, a good-looking 32-week pregnant mother-to-be. Um, and uh, we have the privilege each week, and I mention this each time, but we have the privilege each week of, of ministering to and discipling the students here on Hilton Head Island from 6th grade to 12th grade. And uh, as I always say, God is working in a mighty way in the youth group and uh, in the youth ministry and, and through our volunteers and through us, and, and it's, just a, it's amazing to watch. And so um, I invite you, if you ever want to come check it out, whether you have a student or not, you're more than welcome to come hang out on a Sunday night with us and, and see what we do. Uh, it's not just fun and games, but there are some fun and games too. So um, I'm so glad you guys are here with us this morning. Um, there's a, my mother is not here in this service. She'll be in the next service, but I figured since um, I was going to mention it when she was here, I'd practice this service. So my mother is in town, and some of you might meet her on your way out as she walks in for the next service, but there's a few people in your life that I'm sure you could all think of that have really influenced you, and, and my mother's one of them, and, and it's so amazing to have her in town for this weekend, and she'll be back here in a few months for the baby. Um, but she is somebody who has influenced my life, and as we were driving yesterday in the car, she, had, she made a comment about, I don't know how you can get up and speak and, and do something like this. Um, this is the first time she's going to see me speak, and I said, you know, I, I didn't really say at the moment, but I thought last night, and I thought, well, it's really because of what she has done. She has poured into me, as, along with my father, just the confidence and the character that, that I have today. So I love my mom, and uh, I, I'm going to try to embarrass her as much as I can next service. But if you meet her, uh, just give her a big hug and, and tell her thanks for putting up with me, all right? But um, like I said, uh, thanks for joining us today. We are um, continuing a series that we started last week. If you're here with us last week for Easter, we had 30 people give their life to Christ last week. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. We had, we had many people here. We had many salvations. And we started a series last week that will continue for the next five weeks, uh, five including this morning, entitled Follow Me. And we're going to take the next four or five weeks to explore this idea of what it looks like to follow Jesus because Jesus asked his disciples, and um, I believe he asks each and, one, each and every one of us not just to believe in him, but to follow him. And so we're going to look at what that looks like. What does it mean to follow Jesus? And, and as Todd had mentioned last week, Todd Cullen had mentioned last week, that it was common in this day in the Jewish culture for, for individuals to seek out rabbis, or those would be teachers or scholars of that day, and they would seek them out, and they would, they would pursue them. They would maybe even gave up some of the things in their life, maybe their job or whatever it might be, and they would pursue them in order that they could learn from them and follow them. And so it was common during that day for, for people to ask each other in the midst of conversation, not necessarily, uh, how's your football team doing, because they probably didn't have too much football back then, but they'd ask, whose dust do you have on your feet? Because they walked on, on dusty roads and they walked from town to town, and so they'd ask each other, whose dust do you have on your feet? Who is it that you're following closely behind and learning from? And in some ways, you know, they would probably measure each other by that. Oh, which rabbi do you follow? And so the question this morning for, for everyone in here and myself is, do you have the dust of Jesus on your feet? Because he was a rabbi. He was considered a rabbi. He is a teacher, and he's much more than that. But do you have the dust of Rabbi Jesus on your feet? If not, are you willing to follow him and to have the dust of Rabbi Jesus on your feet? 
And uh, like many things in Jesus' ministry, he, he kind of switched things up and did some, 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 interesting, um, some interesting things. And so the, the tradition back then was for people to seek out a rabbi. And um, it, kind of like maybe a graduate student seeking out a professor at a particular um, university, individuals would seek out a rabbi and follow them. But was it, what was interesting is that Jesus, who really is the ultimate rabbi, who is the, the best of the best, he, he switched things up and he, and he went out and sought individuals. He sought 12 men. And he not only asked them, but he commanded them to follow him. He told them to, to lay down their life, to, to, to lay aside their jobs and to follow him. And I believe that it was his divine authority, his divine authority, because no other rabbi did this, that caused the 12 men to follow him. They, they left everything they knew to follow someone they barely knew. And so this morning, again, are you and am I willing to, to pursue Jesus, to follow Jesus, or maybe to continue to follow Jesus and have the dust of Rabbi Jesus on our feet? So will you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you that you are at work, God, here in Hilton Head Island Community Church. God, we thank you that you're at work here on this island. And God, we don't just say that lightly. I believe that you are at work, God, in a county, in a culture, in a world, God, who is running away from you. God, I pray that we continue to run towards you. God, that we continue to follow you. We continue to, to give you everything that we have. God, I pray this morning that you help us to understand. You give us revelation, God, of what it means to follow you. Not just to believe in you, God, but to follow you. God, give us the desire to follow you. God, may you be honored and glorified in all that we do. And God, may we seek to lead others to follow you as well. Amen. And so I'm not sure uh, who you followed growing up, but I can tell you that I have an older brother, just uh, myself and him. And I followed my older brother. I wanted to be just like my older brother. And uh, I would talk like him. I, I would follow him around. I would do the things that he did. And sometimes it was good, and many times it was not good. So at, at one point when I was young, and I don't know how he convinced me to do this, but um, probably because of boredom, that's how we did many of the things that we did. We were bored, and so we would go out and blow stuff up or light stuff on fire. Or this particular incident, we, we went out on the back patio, and it was during the summertime, and he somehow convinced me to put the end of the hose in my mouth. And the hose would always be coiled up on our patio to water the plants and to, to wash the dirt and the, the mud off the patio. And the, the spigot was around the corner. And so I don't know what he said. I don't know how he convinced me, but I wanted to be like him. I followed him. I trusted him. Maybe not so much after this point. But he went around the corner of the house. And before I could even blink, I had water coming out of every hole in my head. And I was coughing for the next six months to try to get the water out of my system. And so I followed my brother. I continue to follow him after that. And I still love him today. Um, in some ways, I follow him. In some ways, he follows me. And it's, it's amazing to see that. And so I followed him. And who do you follow? Who have you followed? And what does that cause you to do? Maybe, maybe some of you in here do follow Jesus. Maybe some of you are searching. Maybe you don't. But what does that call us to do? What does it lead us to do? And uh, we're going to take a look at our kind of our central passage, our central verse, I guess, for this series and, uh, and begin to explore. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip open to Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. 
If not, you can follow behind us or you can even log on um, to our app, hit HHICC, and you can follow along in the notes there. So Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He's nearing, nearing the end of his ministry and he's speaking to his disciples. And this is what the, the verse says. It says, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him pray 15 minutes a day, read the Bible in a year, attend church as often as possible, as long as you're not tired or you, know, you didn't have a long weekend, uh, and be nice to people. Don't, uh, don't use the Lord's name in vain. Did I, ring the, did I read the wrong one? I'm good? Thanks, Stephen. That's what I thought. That's not what the verse says, is it? Um, we're talking about following Jesus, and many times we, we kind of make a list of rules for ourselves or, or what, we, what we need to do and how we need to, beha- how we need to behave. But I hope that we can understand this morning that doing these things and, and, and just sitting in church or doing these types of things, not a, they aren't bad. Trust me, they aren't bad. I'm not telling you don't come to church next week. I'm actually telling you probably invite somebody else next week too. But what I'm saying is doing these things simply just to do them makes you a follower of Christ just like standing in a garage would make you a car. It's not about doing these things and, and checking off the checklist and um, sitting in a, in a chair for an hour and then going out and continuing on with life. It's much more than that. Following Jesus is much more than that. And so let me, let me try to read this again. Maybe I read the wrong one, but Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me or if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If anyone would follow me, if anyone wants to come after me, deny himself, pick up his cross and follow after me. And now in this day, if you are familiar with the crucifixion of Jesus, which I'm sure many of us are, when Jesus said this, when he said, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow after me, that wasn't something to be taken lightly. When he said to pick up your cross, in that day when you picked up your cross, which was used for crucifixion, which the Romans had perfected this art of torture, you knew that when you picked up your cross that you were going to die, and there's no way out of it. And so Jesus says, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross, deny yourself, follow after me. And, and let me clarify, as Todd did last week, let me clarify that salvation is free. Salvation is free, but discipleship, what Jesus is calling his, his followers and us to do in this, this verse, will cost you everything. Salvation is free. You don't have to do anything for salvation. That's the glorious part of Christianity. But discipleship will cost you everything. In other words, following Jesus is, is costly, but becoming a follower of Jesus costs you nothing. So this morning, are you willing to follow Jesus? Are you willing to continue to follow Jesus? If so, it's, it's not to be taken lightly, but I can tell you that it's, it's worth it. And so I, I'm the type of person to ask why. I ask why all the time. It drove my dad nuts. Even though he's an engineer and he probably asked why all the time and he wants to know how things work as well, I ask why all the time. So why? Why should we deny ourselves when the world tells us to, to serve yourself? I had a friend yesterday on Facebook that says, he, he, he's getting pretty popular. He's trying to make it in Hollywood, and so he has a lot of followers and a good friend of mine in high school. And he, he posted this long post about how you just need to make your life about yourself because everybody else is, you know, there for themselves. And, and he, he kind of gets bitter when people stop talking to him or move on and go to another part of, you know, move on to another part of their life. And so he said, you just need to make your life about yourself. 
just worry about yourself, kind of just, who cares about anyone else and how, what they think? And so we live in a culture that says, don't deny yourself, serve yourself. And so when Jesus says to deny yourself, to pick up your cross and to follow after him, why? Why do we do something so radically different than what the culture around us tells us to do? Why should we follow Christ? Well, he, he tells us to follow him, but my brother also told me to put a, a garden hose in my mouth. And not to say that, that those two people are, are similar. I believe that we should trust Jesus by simply the words he says because he's divine and he is God himself. But I believe there's another reason why we follow Jesus, not just because he tells us to and he says it all over scripture, but I believe that we should follow Jesus for another reason. Imagine if, you're, uh, if, if you murder someone and you're on trial for a murder and, and you're standing there in the courtroom and all the evidence comes out and you're guilty. There's no way around it. You're guilty even if maybe you changed your life around and you became a good person, you really came to your senses. You're still guilty and you still deserve a sentence. And say, say you're about to be sentenced to the death penalty. And you stand there in the courtroom, you're hopeless, you have no hope, you've lost everything, your family is outside maybe sitting in the courtroom and, and you have no hope. There's nothing you can do to get out of it. And at the last moment before the gavel is hit and you're sentenced to the death penalty, somebody comes in the courtroom, maybe you know them, maybe you've never met them, and they somehow convince the judge and the jury that they will take your place. No matter what it takes, that they will pay whatever amount of money, they'll take your place, they'll die in your place. I can guarantee you every person in here would not walk out of that courtroom saying, hey, thanks, all right, go back to life. You want to know who this person is. You want to know what can you do to return the favor to, to, to show your gratitude because this person gave you life. And that's what Christ has done for us. So why do we follow him? Yes, Jesus calls us to follow him. He commands us to follow him. But I believe that we should follow him out of gratitude because we were dead in our sins and we had no hope without him. No hope. And he came in. He saved us. He gave us life. He gave us reason to wake up in the morning to put our feet on the ground. And so I believe that's why we follow Christ is because he knows better than us. He's more powerful than us. He's all knowing. There's something that he has for us that maybe we don't see. And so again, are you willing to follow Christ this morning? If you will, um, flip open to John chapter 20. We're gonna kind of dive a little bit deeper into this idea of discipleship and following Jesus. Um, John chapter 20, verse 19. This is after um, Jesus' death and his, uh, his resurrection. This is right after his resurrection. And let me kind of set the scene. His disciples who had followed him and, and literally given up everything. We, we, we probably have a hard time connecting and relating with what they did here in our culture because we can give up everything or give up many things and we still can walk into Social Security office. We still could you know, go over to a friend's house or family's house, and we still really could have a lot of hope. But these disciples who gave up everything, they did so in a culture where if they gave up their job and they left their family, they would most likely be disowned by their family because they were communicating, I don't need you, I don't want you, I have something better. They, they did this in a culture where um, it wasn't necessarily easy to come by a job. They were probably masters at what they did, and so if they left their job, which many of them were who were fishermen, left their job and their source of, of food, and so they gave up everything, everything, and they became homeless. They became 
in the world's eyes, hopeless. They didn't have anything to their name. And people probably thought, these people are idiots. They're idiots. They're following a random man, and they've given up everything. They've given up their status. They've given up everything to follow this man named Jesus. And so they continue following him. They follow him for, for nearly three years. And to set the scene for what we're about to read is, is they give up everything, and they believe they have this idea, as many Jews did, that Jesus is who he says he was, that he was Messiah. But they had this idea that he was going to finally raise up enough followers and create this uprising and overtake Rome and really make Israel back into what it should have been, which was God's nation, and, and really bring hope to all the world. So this idea that Jesus was going to be essentially a military leader. And they're getting excited. Jesus is, you know, his following is growing and growing and growing. Thousands of people were following him around. Even though he had 12 disciples, he had hundreds and thousands of people following him. And they were thinking, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. The Pharisees are getting mad and the Romans are, are kind of getting fed up with him. And, and it's about to happen. We're going to take over and, and Israel is going to become what it should have been a long time ago. And so they're, they're gaining hope. And all of a sudden, Jesus is taken into custody willingly and he is crucified right in front of them. The man who they gave up everything for was just, was just humiliated on top of a hill for all people to see, spit on, mocked. And now they are clueless because they were so convinced that this was the man who was going to lead them out of slavery, out of oppression. And so try to put yourself in their shoes. They, are, they have no idea what is going on. They were so convinced that this was the Messiah. And so this is what happens after Jesus' death and resurrection, yet they don't know of his resurrection yet. This is what it says, John chapter 20, verse 19. It says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Go ahead and skip down to verse 24. It says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. All the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And so the disciples, understandably so, they were hiding because the Jews who had just captured Jesus and, and led him to his crucifixion, were now wanting to, st to, to stomp out the entire movement, this entire movement of people following Jesus. And so what more um, necessary than to seek out the 12 disciples who spent every day with them for the last three years. And so they were fearful. They, they sat in this room. If you've seen the movie Risen, I believe they did a great job. If, if I were to picture it, I would have pictured it like that where they, stood in this, they sat in this room quietly because the Jews were probably uh, walking throughout the city looking for them, asking people where they were. And they, they sat in this room quiet, and all of a sudden Jesus, who was humiliated before them and crucified, walks through, because the door was locked, he most likely walked through the wall, 
and he was there, not in just a spiritual form, not just a hologram, but he was there. Jesus had risen from the dead, and all of a sudden, they might not have understood exactly what was happening and, and why he had raised from the dead because they had a completely different idea, but all of a sudden, they had hope again. They had hope, and they, they, their confidence began to build again. Because before that, they were, they were doing as Jesus told them. They were going into cities and, and preaching the gospel. They were preaching that the Messiah had come, and, and now they're hiding and begin to build confidence again. And so this morning, let's begin to kind of look at this and how does this apply to our life? Because we don't live in a culture, we don't live in a time where we have to lock our doors. In this culture, we don't have to lock our doors and hide for the fear of persecution. But I believe in our culture, we hide maybe even more so than those who live in China, those who live in maybe Africa who do fear persecution, do fear martyrdom. I believe that in many ways we hide more than they do. And so how is that? How is it that we hide rather than show boldness and follow Jesus and do what he has called us to do as his followers? I believe there's many reasons. I believe that that we're, we're complacent. I, I, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but maybe we're complacent. Maybe we're comfortable in the life that we live. Look at the island that we live on. How can you not be comfortable on the island that we live on? This is amazing. But many times we become comfortable and complacent in our life and in our faith. And, and maybe, it's the reason, maybe the reason is because our country is a Christian country, and there's many Christians, and, and many people believe in Jesus, that we feel like maybe we don't have necessarily a strong mission. It's not like the disciples who, they were some of the only followers of Jesus. Whatever it might be, I believe that many times we're complacent, we're comfortable. We can go behind our gates and behind our doors and, and into our fancy cars, whatever it might be, and we can become complacent and think, it's all right, I, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm saved, I, I, I am fine where I'm at. Maybe it's because we're scared. Maybe it's because we're scared that, that, that maybe we might face some sort of persecution, that maybe we might get sued, or maybe uh, somebody might not like us, or maybe somebody will feel uncomfortable because we live in a culture that's kind of, you do what you wanna do, you believe what you wanna believe, and I'll believe what I want to believe and, and don't necessarily talk to me about it or else, you know, I, I might tell other people to stay away from you. So maybe we're scared. Maybe we're scared of persecution or scared of our, of our image or our status, whatever it might be. Maybe we're scared. Maybe we're scared to maybe, maybe accept a calling to go to a place where there is persecution, severe persecution. Maybe we're scared. Maybe we have insecurities, or maybe we feel condemned with the, the life that we live. Maybe we're insecure that we might not know enough about the Bible, about Jesus, about this, this idea of following Jesus to be a follower. Maybe we think we need to get our act together. But look at the disciples. They, they, didn't, they really probably knew less than we did because they were completely confused when Jesus was crucified. When Jesus asked them, who do you say I am? There was really only one disciple who kind of said the right thing. That was Peter. And so maybe we're insecure. Maybe we feel condemned that we're not good enough, that we, we are not ready to, to really, truly follow Jesus. Maybe we're lost or maybe we're confused. Maybe, maybe again, maybe we don't necessarily think we know enough or maybe we 
are not sure if we believe, and, and we talked about that last week, about making that first step to become a follower, but maybe you're lost or maybe you're confused and you don't know exactly what it looks like to follow Jesus. And that's why, that's why we're doing this series. That's why Jesus talks about discipleship left and right in the, the gospel accounts. And that's why we have the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, just after Jesus' death and resurrection, the disciples who had, had gained a little bit of confidence, they were now sitting in another room and they were praying, and this was on Pentecost, um, and, and they were praying, and out, out, out of nowhere, the Holy Spirit comes, as Jesus said it would, Jesus says the Holy Spirit would be poured out among all men. The Holy Spirit comes and fills the room, and, and they begin to, to, to speak in tongues, it says. They begin to be empowered, and, and this miraculous event begins to take place, and it doesn't stop there. The people outside who are walking through Jerusalem for the, the festival of Pentecost, they begin to hear the, what's going on in this upper room because the streets were, were probably very narrow. They begin to hear it, and so they begin to criticize them and mock them, and they could have easily kept the window shut. They could have easily remained complacent or comfortable, or they could have remained scared that, oh, no, these are, they're going to report us, and that's going to be the end. We're going to be crucified like Jesus was. But they open the windows, or they, they look out the window, and Peter begins to preach. And he begins to preach boldly. And he begins to say what he believes God has called him to say. And in Acts chapter 2, it says that 3,000 people were saved that day when, G, when Peter began to preach with boldness. When he, began, when he got out of his comfort zone, when, he, when he, he pushed away the fear and said, maybe I don't know enough because later in Acts chapter 3, the Pharisees say that, that Peter and John were uneducated men, that they really didn't know that much. And so they could have used said, well, I don't know, I can't, I can't, I can't preach the gospel, I, I, I'll just, you know, we'll wait. But no, they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. He got up, he began to preach, and 3,000 people came to know the Lord on that day. And this revival that spread throughout the entire world began there on Pentecost. People began to be saved. And so that's one example in the Bible of, of boldness, of, of people getting out of their comfort zone, of, of coming out of hiding and we see the, the, the result. In Acts chapter 3, like I said, they are arrested. And the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the same individuals who crucified Jesus, they mention and they're quoted saying that, they, that Peter and John have boldness, that they notice their boldness. Even though they're uneducated and, and common men, they're, they're bold and there's something about that. And the, the, the book of Acts, which I encourage you to read if, you, if you're interested in this idea of following Jesus, encourage you to read because it's the result of what people uh, who follow Jesus, it's the result of their lifestyles and what happens. Because the beginning of Acts, here in Acts chapter 3, and the last chapter in Acts, both book in the book talking about boldness, Peter and John's boldness, and Paul's boldness. And you see radical, radical change in the book of Acts. Amazing things happen in the book of Acts. People come to know the Lord in miraculous ways. And the Lord was moving. I believe the Lord is still moving today in similar ways. Maybe we just don't have the boldness, or maybe we're hiding, or maybe, maybe there's something that's, that isn't taking place, that we aren't allowing to take place. And so I encourage you, read the book of Acts. But where else? Where else in, in, in the Bible it, it, do we see boldness? And what does it look like? We see in the, in the story of David and Goliath, 
this idea of complacency and comfort where the, the brothers of, of David and all the people of Israel, they were on the front lines as Goliath came out every day and, and chanted, who's gonna come out and fight me? And he began to mock Israel and mock the God of Israel. And they're complacent and they would come out and, and put up a little bit of a show in which Goliath would go back. They'd go back in their tents and, and hang out and play games and, and whatever it might be, eat. And finally, David sees what's happening. And David, who was just a young, young boy, he's empowered by, by God and, and his boldness. He stands up and says, this is, this is out of control. This is ridiculous. And he stands up to Goliath and he, and he slays Goliath and he saves Israel. And so we have the story of David. We have the stories in Acts. We have so many different stories. I could go on and on about people in the Bible and individuals who are bold and who change literally the face of the earth. They change the history of the world. And so when Peter and John were questioned, why are you doing what you do? Why are you, why are you so bold? Why are you doing what you do? Their answer is simply Jesus. Jesus. And so I ask you this morning, I ask myself, why do we do what we do? Why do we work? Why do we do what we do throughout the day on the weekends? Why do we study what we study at school? And it's simply Jesus. It's Jesus. It's for Jesus. It's for his kingdom. It's, it's because we follow him and we love him. It's for Jesus. It's not for money. It's not for status. It's not for comfort. It's for Jesus. And so why do you do what you do? Every day, here after church, whatever you, you and your family are going to do this week, why do you do what you do? Is it for Jesus? Do people know that it's for Jesus? As I said, God's really working in, in student ministry, and I know it's not because of me, because I'm really a weird guy. When, when I go to the, the schools and I see people at sporting events and kids at sporting events, kids think I'm really weird because I'm so outgoing, and they think I'm just another high school student, so they think I'm a young high school student that is probably like, you know, I try to make it very clear, you know, if I'm talking to a group, you know, that I'm not trying to like hit on anybody. I, I'm like, you know, I'm like, hey guys, you know, I'm showing my ring and I talk about my wife like first thing, but they think I'm weird because I'm so outgoing. And so it's not because of me, I'm weird and outgoing, but God is still working in our student ministry and he's giving boldness to our students. And, and again, this is, this is not anything to do with any person, but simply because God is working when we came here two years ago, th there was just a few students. And now we consistently see 50 to 60 every Sunday night. And why? It's not because it's, not because it's just fun. We do, have, we do have fun, but there's, much, there's things that are much more fun here on this island for the students to do. Why, why is it grown so much? Why do we have consistently 60 kids who come out to not just have fun, but the majority of the time we're, we're worshiping and we're, we're diving into God's word. We're having small groups and the kids are growing. It's because they're bold. And I have students come up to me on Sunday mornings. Hey, I invited three people to come to youth group tonight. I got three friends coming to youth group tonight. Like that's what they're passionate about now. They're passionate about inviting people to youth group on Sunday nights. They're bold. They're, they're talking to students. They're leading Bible studies for their ROTC friends on a ROTC trip asking them while they sit at table and, and eat, hey, hey, tonight I want to do something for Good Friday. I want to talk about what Jesus did for us. And as people mocked the student, some of them accepted it. He got these students together and God worked in a mighty way. They're bold. 
these students are bold and, and it's affecting the island. It's changing the island. And so what do I want us to understand today? What is the Bible communicating about following Jesus? And it's this, is that following Christ requires an exchange of our safety for his security. Following Christ requires an exchange, requires, we are required to exchange our safety for his security. And that's not to say that we should go seek to be martyrs, but maybe that is what happens. I don't know. I can't say. But it requires an exchange of us saying, okay, it's not necessarily about my status, my, my comfort. It's not about who I am and what I have anymore, Jesus. It's about your security because the safety of this world is so temporary. It's based on a broken world and broken people. And so we exchange that safety, which we, we get this idea that it's, it really is safe, that if we stay behind our gates and, and, our, and our nice homes and cars and, and we remain popular amongst people and don't say anything that would offend them, that we'll be safe. But the reality is that we won't be safe. We only find our security when we follow Christ. One of my favorite stories is a, is a man by the name of Brother Yun. He's a, he's a Chinese man. He was born in the late 50s. When he was 16 years old, he became a Christian. And we're talking about a country which there's heavy persecution of Christians, especially in the area that he was born and grew up in. There's heavy persecution. And you'll hear some of the persecution, but they do fear for their physical life but they exchange their safety for his security, and, and that safety sometimes does mean their physical life. Brother Young was 16 when he became a Christian. Soon after, he started hungering for the word of God. However, his family did not have a Bible, as many people don't in China. He began asking his mother who Jesus was. In response, his mother would tell him that Jesus was the son of God and that he had recorded all his teachings in the Bible. Brother Young wanted a Bible, and his mother recalled that there was a man in another village who had one. So she brought him to see the man. The man was too afraid to show Brother Yun his Bible, so he suggested to the latter that he could pray and ask God for one. Brother Yun decided to fast and pray for a Bible. For the next 100 days, he ate only one bowl of, of steamed rice every day. One day at 4 a.m. after fasting for 100 days, he saw a vision. In the vision, he was walking up a steep hill and trying to push a heavy cart at the same time. He was heading towards a village where he intended to beg for food for his family. He struggled greatly as he continued his climb uphill. The cart was about to roll back and fall on him when he saw three men walking down the hill in the opposite direction. One of them was a kind old man and he was pulling a large cart of fresh bread. When the old man saw Brother Yun, he asked him if he was hungry. He said yes and started crying. The old man then took a red bag of bread from his cart and asked his two servants to give it to Brother Yun. As he put the bread in his mouth, he immediately turned into a Bible. And this was the vision he had. Upon waking up, Brother Yun begins to search for the Bible. His search, however, was in vain. All of a sudden, he heard a faint knock on the door, and someone was calling out his name. Immediately, he recognized a voice. It was the same voice he had heard in the vision. He quickly opened the door, and standing before him were the two servants he had seen in the vision. One of them held a red bag in his hand, and the red bag was a Bible. Brother Yun began to devour the word of God. Even though he could hardly read, this did not deter him at all. When he had finished reading the entire Bible, he started to memorize one chapter per day. In 28 days, he memorized the Gospel of Matthew. Then he went on to memorize the book of Acts and so forth. 
there's so much about Brother Young's life, but I want to bring your attention to this. He, he began to have a desire and passion to not only believe in Jesus, but to follow Jesus. It says Brother Young was arrested by security police numerous times and was thrown into prison three times for sharing the gospel in communist China. While Brother Young was arrested, the, when Brother Young was arrested the first time, he was only 17 years old. At that time, he was ministering at a meeting far away from home. After he was caught, he was thrown into a freezing cold prison cell. There was no heat in the cell, and his winter coat had been thrown into the snow by the security police who had caught him. He began to sing from memory, Psalm 150, aloud. The more he sang, the more he was filled with joy. Gradually, his frozen hands and feet regained feeling, and he no longer felt cold. During his first imprisonment in Nanyang, Brother Yun felt that God wanted him to fast without food and water until he could see his family again. The fast lasted 74 days. And some of you might begin to question this, but I spent an hour yesterday trying to find anything on the internet that discredited this. I didn't find anything. Not to say that that proves it. But the fast lasted for 74 days. His ears became the size of raisins, which was humanly impossible fast, but yet was made possible because he chose to obey God. During those times when Brother Yun was in the hands of government officials, he was repeatedly beaten and tortured with electric batons. He was also kicked and trampled upon. Furthermore, he had needles being jabbed underneath his fingernails. Once, Brother Yun was paraded through the streets with a red cross tied behind him for half a day. When night fell, he, locked, he was locked and left alone inside a large interrogation room. The wooden cross was taken off his back, but his hands were still tied up. All of a sudden, the rope that was used to tie his hands snapped by itself. He immediately walked out of the interrogation room and walked through the courtyard in the midst of onlookers. Nobody stopped him and said anything to him. It was, if, it was as if God had blinded their eyes and they did not recognize who he was. And we read this, this happening in the book of Acts, and we believe it, and I don't believe there's any reason why we can't believe this day because that last part was was a, a news story in China because they were on the search, they were, they were searching for Brother Yun because he had escaped from jail. So this morning, maybe, maybe our exchange with, with Christ to follow him, maybe our exchange for, uh, of our safety for his security, maybe it requires some of us maybe selling some of our possessions. Maybe, maybe it doesn't. That's between you and the Lord. But don't just say, oh, well, that's for another person, that's for another culture, as for another time, I pray that we honestly consider what does it mean to exchange our safety for his security? Maybe it's selling possessions. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's sharing Christ with those that we know we should be sharing Christ with. Maybe it's joining or starting a Bible study here at the church or a life group here at the church. Maybe it's volunteering in some sort of, of ministry I don't know where God is calling you in this idea of following him, but I encourage you and I encourage myself. I've been challenged in writing this message to follow Jesus, to continue to follow Christ. He's given us his Holy Spirit and his Holy Spirit empowered people 2,000 years ago to bring revival about the world and I believe it's empowering today. I believe it's interesting that, that for the first time in 2,000 years, for, for the first time since Christ, his death and resurrection, Christianity is on a decline in the northern hemisphere, Europe, United States, um, parts of, of Asia, 
And for the first time in 2,000 years, Christianity is exponentially growing in the Southern Hemisphere and in, really in the Eastern world, but in, in South America and Africa and in South Asia, Christianity is exploding. They can't contain it. They cannot contain Christianity. Why is it? Why is Christianity declining in the, the modernized Western and, and really Northern Hemisphere? And why is it exploding in places like Africa where they they have to fear for their own life every day, where there is genocide of Christians taking place. Why is it that Christianity is exploding? That doesn't make sense. Wouldn't Christianity explode in a place where people are free to follow Christ? And I believe it's because these people are bold and they're following Christ with boldness. And so this morning, are we following Christ with boldness? Are we willing to come out of hiding? Maybe it's from our houses, maybe it's from our jobs or from our status or self-image, are we willing to come out of hiding? Because I believe when we come out of hiding that God has shown time and time again that major, miraculous things begin to happen. And so here in an island that is a resort island, are we willing to come out of hiding and do what God has called us to do, which is to follow him at any cost? God, I pray this morning. I pray God, that you speak to us, God. That you speak to us this morning. God, reveal to us what it, what it looks like, what it means to follow you, God. To, to exchange our safety, our temporary safety, what's comfortable, God, for the security that you provide. God, I pray that you speak to the individuals in this church. You speak to the staff of this church. You speak to those people listening God, and what that looks like, what that means. God, give them the boldness to do so. God, because you have given us life. You have given us the breath in our lungs as we sung earlier. And I pray that in response, God, we choose to follow you. God, we choose to give up everything for you. God, for your security. God, I pray that we come out of hiding, God. That we come out of hiding, God, and, and live this life that you have set before us. 